my like $8 Target tie of yeah. Santa fishing for gifts. Nice. It's an American and, holiday. Uh, a reindeer is, for whatever reason, underwater with scuba gear with oh, no. some gift that is on Santa's hook. Unclear what's happening, but something. Uh, climate change, that's pretty clear what's happening, Joe. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this end-of-the-year holiday edition of the 538 Politics Podcast. I'm Galen Druk. If everything goes to plan, this is our final fresh-out-of-the-studio podcast of 2023. During the Christmas and New Year holidays, we're going to air an updated version of the primaries project. Four years ago, we took a hard look at the system that we use to nominate presidential candidates in a three-part series. And it's more relevant than ever as we head into the primaries next month. We also have a new interview with friend of the pod, Julia Azari, updating us on everything that's happened since we originally aired that series. So make sure to check it out next week and on New Year's Day. And we'll be back with regularly scheduled podcasts the first week of January. But today we are here to do a couple things. First and foremost, we're going to have some fun. Think of this as our on-air podcast holiday party for the folks who are watching this on video. I should apologize. I am not appropriately dressed. Um, I ran into the office this morning because we had to record an emergency podcast about the Colorado Supreme Court ruling on Trump's ability to remain on the primary ballot there. And so um, I had to drop all of my extra special plans. However, our panelists today are in more of a festive spirit, so I apologize. So anyway, think of this as our on-air holiday party. We've also got a hard-hitting good or bad use of polling example addressing the thorny subject of Christmas cookies. So do chocolate chip cookies count as Christmas cookies? We'll use the rigorous data-driven approach you know and love to answer that question. We're also going to take a look back at the year and ask which developments were the most important for understanding next year's biggest political story, which is, of course, the 2024 election. And while we're doing Hopefully. our retrospective, right, that's true. The last time uh, I said that before a presidential election, COVID ended up becoming the biggest story of the year instead of the actual election. So I should be knocking wood right now. And in fact, I am. While we're doing our retrospective, we're also going to ask, what was the weirdest political moment of 2023? Because it was a seriously weird year. Just look at our podcast feed. In January, we started the year with an episode titled, What the Debt Ceiling and George Santos's Career Have in Common. Honestly, I don't remember what we said. Uh, maybe that neither of them would last a full year. And to bookend the year, earlier this week, we... Um, <clears throat> groped our way around the fact that the most attention-grabbing story in D.C. <laughs> that week was the release of a sex tape filmed in a Senate hearing room. And then we are also... How did you get the word grope in there? <laughs> you know, I try hard, Leah. This is my job. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> and then to finish off the episode and the year, it's Guess What Americans Think Holiday Edition. So you've already heard their voices, but here with me to do it all is Senior Elections Analyst Nathaniel Rakich. Hey, Nathaniel. Hey, Galen. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All here with us is politics reporter Leah Skarnam. Welcome to the podcast, Leah. Thank you. Happy to be here. Always great to have you. And also here with us is Senior Elections Analyst Jeffrey Skelly. Welcome to the podcast. I love the Santa hat. Hey, you know, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. The whole nine yards. Uh... Getting into the spirit of things. I love to see it. I Sadly, the only thing I have that's getting me into the spirit is this um, Rice Krispie treat from Starbucks. Uh, it's, 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 it's a rough day. Um, Shame but on you, Galen. I assure folks I do, in fact, have fun holiday sweaters. They're just not in the studio with me right now. But with that, should we get started on this Christmas cookie uh, poll? Because it really... Um, holiday cookie, Galen? Well, the question asked, do you have a favorite Christmas cookie or favorite cookie for the holidays? Ooh, you're right. Mm. Okay. Earlier this month, Monmouth University released a poll of 803 American adults focused on questions about the holidays. For example, 79% of Americans say they are on Santa's nice list. Interestingly enough, <laughs> one question in particular caught our attention. They asked respondents, do you have a favorite Christmas cookie or favorite cookie for the holidays? And 47% said yes. And then they asked, if yes, what is it? 
respondents were not given any options. They were free to name whatever they like. And the results went like this. 32% said frosted sugar cookies are their favorite. 12% said gingerbread. 11% said chocolate chip. 6% snickerdoodles. 4% butter cookies. And it goes on down, including 2% who said brownies, which, okay, is a brownie a cookie? We can have that debate. 13% said other varieties. Is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> this is significantly <laughs> easier to answer. <laughs> this sparked some controversy about whether respondents were primed to say sugar cookies, because that's what most people think of when they think of a Christmas cookie in the first place, and then also whether a chocolate chip cookie is a Christmas cookie and whether a brownie is also a Christmas cookie. So first things first, Nathaniel, I know you had the most thoughts about this poll. Is this a good or bad use of polling? I'm not sure that's true. I think I think there are a lot of thoughts about this poll on this panel. But uh, but no, sorry. Sorry, Monmouth. You're a great pollster, but this is a bad use of polling. I think, okay, first of all, like sugar frosted cookies, they're not good. They're not good, people. Let's stop pretending Hold that on. they're that they're good. Oh my like, god. Hold on. Is this we the poll gingerbread? Or we is this we the haven't cooker? even started we have, yet. Is, we have never, never, never judged polls based on whether we personally like the results that they give us. Okay. And we are not starting now. Nathaniel, this is Christmas. I expect more from <laughs> Anything you. Anything is this, possible. This partisan pro <laughs> anti-sugar cookie hackery is unacceptable on this rigorous podcast. Okay. All right. But look, seriously though, like I appreciate the the nature of the question being open-ended, but I do think that like when somebody says, okay, what is your favorite Christmas cookie? You do naturally think about like those like frosted cookies or like maybe you think of gingerbread, but like you think about like, you know, the things that you ice, the like, you know, like the candy cane shapes that you use cookie cutters and stuff for. That's what I would say probably, even though I don't really like them. But like if I had known that like chocolate chip was an option, I would choose chocolate chip because chocolate chip cookies are freaking delicious. It's clearly a better cookie. It's clearly a superior cookie. And so like I think you would get very different answers if you had given a list of cookies versus doing this open-ended thing. Because I do think asking Christmas cookies specifically primes people to say certain types of cookies, even if they don't actually like think they're delicious. Um, So that's my complaint with this poll. That it primed respondents too much to just answer, what's my favorite Christmas cookie? Well, a Christmas cookie. Right. Because you're suggesting there's only really one kind of Christmas cookie. How? I think um, there are two. I think gingerbread and then the frosted sugar cookies, um, which gingerbread are much better in my opinion, but whatever. I mean, people- I'm not allowed to say that on this woke podcast. Oh no, it's 100% true. People also absolutely named true. <laughs> snickerdoodles, German spiced cookies. Three percent of respondents said I that. I do think which snickerdoodles like, can be a Christmas cookie. They're Christmas adjacent, um, but you know, you like my wife likes to make one with uh, kind of like the Hershey's peppermint kisses yeah, in the yeah. middle, and though, so you're really Christmasifying it, if you will. Uh, not a word, but sure. Okay. Other thoughts on whether this was a good or bad use of pulling, Leah. You always really get right to the heart of the matter here. I'm curious uh, where you come Um, down on this Christmas cookie quandary. I think we need to uh, put away the narrative that we have figured out in our own minds and follow the data. And the data says (laughs) sugar frosted. That's what it says. And you might be looking at the national environment and like Biden's approval rating and whatever. And you're like, no, it's actually chocolate chip cookies. But no, this is what the data says. This is what the people want. If you just got out in real America more often, you'd realize that sugar cookies, parentheses frosted, are by far the most popular. (laughs) And so I do think- This is what real America wants. Um, One, frosting is delicious. We are thinking about cookies on Christmas as a vehicle for frosting. All right? It's a vessel for frosting. That is what we do on Christmas is we eat That is what we do as Jews on Christmas. We really (laughs) just use As somebody who just started celebrating Christmas when I met my husband, um, this has been one of my favorite parts of Christmas has been making frosting, and then frosting cookies. And just because you don't like them doesn't mean that that's not the answer. And it's also like it's your favorite Christmas cookie because you really only have them around Christmas. So I think it makes sense. That's fine. There's a reason for that. Because they suck. Okay, what other things do you, let's, 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 I think this seems like a personal problem here, Nathaniel. I have a vendetta what, Do you like, 
What what kinds of um what's your least favorite dessert? My least favorite dessert? Like fruit. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway. I mean, I I fear that we're just getting I fear that we're just getting some hyper partisan um analysis here from I, okay. Nathaniel. When it comes to actually answering this question, I think this do you have a favorite Christmas or holiday cookie as the first question, yes or no? Only half of Americans even do. So like we're really narrowing down the pool of folks that we're talking to. And so the fact that about a third of people who have a favorite holiday cookie, it's a sugar cookie, I don't know. That doesn't strain credulity to me. And that from there on, you know, about 10% or less, like gingerbread, chocolate chips, Snickers, like, I mean, come on. Have you ever eaten a chocolate chip cookie around the holidays? If you have, then why not include it in this poll? And leaving it open-ended allowed folks to speak their own truth, to talk about their own holiday traditions without the sort of strict parameters of some pollster in Washington, D.C., or this is Monmouth, New Jersey, Even telling, worse. Americans, <laughs> New, telling Americans the ways that they can celebrate the holiday. An East Coast elite pollster telling Americans there's only one way or there's only five ways of, of living their truth around the holidays. So I, I have a I have a handful of thoughts. One is that I do think gingerbread cookies can't have frosting, um, so that seems like a, a troubling problem here. Uh, <laughs> second, and more seriously, to the point about polling, you know, Monmouth likes to ask their Republican primary poll in two forms: one that is open ended, and one that has a list of candidates. Now, I think making a list of Republican presidential candidates of note is probably far easier than making a list of potential cookie options. Uh, However, with the open-ended, there is a risk that someone will be like, shoot, I have no idea. Chocolate chip cookies, sure. And so if you're trying to look for maybe a specific Christmas time answers, perhaps a list is a better way of reading out a list of possibilities is a better way of doing it. I'm just, just, just a thought there. And then third, I do wonder if there is a a form of this question they could have asked and done it open-ended because I think it would have been a a broader form, which is what is your favorite holiday treat? Mm -hmm. Could you have people answering candy canes or I don't know, mulled wine? Like like it just could have been some sort of like interesting uh, wider variety here or something. And I don't know if it would have been a better form of the question, but it was just the thought. Yeah, I think I like I like that question wording. I, here's a question. When you have a polling question like this, and 47% of Americans say that they do have a favorite Christmas cookie, and then 2% say, yes, I have a favorite Christmas cookie. It's brownies, which is objectively not a cookie. Do you remove not. that? Do you put those people <laughs> with the 53% who say that they don't have a favorite? You say, okay, you thought you had a favorite cookie. You clearly don't because the thing that you responded is not within the realm of the question. We're removing you from the pool. So if you say, you know, who would you like to be the Republican nominee for president? And you say, Shirley Temple. The pollster says, okay, well, Shirley Temple is not alive and can't be president. So we're putting you back into the pool of people who say they don't know. I don't know where Shirley Temple came from. I'm really sorry, but like. (laughs) I I do wonder about the, I'm not sure pollsters, I'm not sure pollsters want to be put in the position where they're judging the answers. That that is a, a, and perhaps is another reason why you should just have a list uh, to begin Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. so that you don't have, uh, I mean, now they have a huge like other category, right? I Mm -hmm. think like 13% said other. Uh, so perhaps Shirley Temple falls into other. The well, one thing I liked from this poll, so other includes something includes things like quote mom's cookies, hmm. which that's not a useful answer. It's kind of cute. It's kind of a cute piece of color, but like yeah, where do you put that? I think we need to read it less as what is the best objective cookie and more like. <laughs> How do people feel about cookies and Christmas? You know, what do they associate with Christmas? What sparks joy? Because if we're actually going like with the superior cookie, as much as I would on this list probably choose the sugar frosted, there are these like really good Persian cookies that I buy around mm. Christmas that are made of like chickpeas and others with almonds. So like I would probably pick that. But I think if we had a list in another category, this would be 
we would be arguing less. I think that that's, and that, I think that's probably an indicator that we should, we should have a list. But isn't also sugar cookies are delicious. And also you guys need to stop saying sugar cookies without saying frosted in parentheses next to it, because well, I this really is another think that thing. is the difference. No, but like, did some people say sugar cookies and some people say like frosted cookies and these things were combined? Like that seems like a problem. Nobody, yeah. no other category had that. Did you know there are yeah, cross are they including tabs short, on this? Are they like including shortbread in that? Because that's no, because four percent of Americans yeah. chose butter cookies. Okay, okay. So, you know, I have to say, no, shortbread is actually its own. They, they in the number is shortbread Wait. is one percent. So shortbread is one percent. Okay, <clears throat> oh. but this is another. This oh, is, I see. This is another. Problem. I have to say. I have to say. Well, it's hard for me to articulate, and I do think Americans are right that sugar cookies are the best Christmas cookie, but also kind of the only Christmas cookie. I don't learn anything from this poll. Uh, like, of the half of Americans who have a favorite Christmas cookie, a third of them say sugar frosted. Okay. Like, I don't think I know my countrymen better because of this poll. Like, it just feels like there's no real, like, oh, okay. And then two thirds of Americans say it's something different, but it's so varied amongst those two thirds that there's no kind of like if this was a democracy and we had to sort of adjudicate something based on these results, I would say Americans don't know what they want. Like the kind of like go away, think about it more, talk amongst yourselves and then come back to me when, when you have like a better idea and half of you don't even have a favorite cookie, like get it together. To that point, Galen, I think something this poll could really benefit from is ranked choice voting, because clearly you see a lot of kind of balkanization in what Americans' favorite cookie is or favorite Christmas cookie. And I think that, like, for example, like butter cookies and shortbread cookies were counted as two separate categories. And like chocolate is separate from chocolate chip, which is separate from brownies. And like, I feel like those camps could join together. It could join forces and defeat the evil forces of sugar cookies if they were given the chance to do so. But I think there's just, there, there's too much variation in other kinds of cookies. And, and yeah, so I think that like just letting people pick just one answer is not a definitive answer to people's favorite Christmas cookie if they had to kind of choose head to head. As folks will hear in the primaries project, just because people are voting does not mean the democracy is functioning well. I will also <laughs> say that if you look in the cross tabs, there's very little there that clarifies slash adds more understanding to people's cookie preferences because sugar, comma, frosted are the favorite of about a third of men, women, parents, kids, age 55 and up. Etc. So it just seems what like a about pretty party, standard. Leah? What about party? It doesn't have party. I looked. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I know. Democrats hate Christmas cookies. That's the takeaway from this poll. Um, they the next only question like is cookies. whether you'd go on the naughty or nice list, which yeah, does have it hate separated gingerbread. by Democrats party. hate sugar cookies. Okay, well, don't look at this Cookie poll too much because one of the questions was if. Santa Claus was a partisan, which party would he oh belong to? And that is coming in our Guess What Americans Think section of the <laughs> podcast. So I'm closing just the cross tabs. Closing tight. the cross tabs. We will get to that shortly. But for now, let's move on to the most important political developments for understanding 2024. Today's podcast is brought to you by Shopify. Ready to make the smartest choice for your business? Say hello to Shopify, the global commerce platform that makes selling a breeze. Whether you're starting your online shop, opening your first physical store, or hitting a million orders, Shopify is your growth partner. Sell everywhere with Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. Turn browsers into buyers with Shopify's best converting checkout, 36% better than other platforms. Effortlessly sell more with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Did you know Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and supports global brands like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. 
Join millions of successful entrepreneurs across 175 countries backed by Shopify's extensive support and help resources. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Start your success story today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash 538. That's the numbers, not the letters. Shopify.com slash 538. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. As I mentioned at the top, 2023 was an interesting year. To jog our memories, here are some of the headlines. McCarthy was elected speaker after 14 failed ballots. There was a Chinese spy balloon. Chat GPT-4 was launched. Finland joined NATO. COVID officially ended, according to the CDC. Trump was found liable for sexual assault in the E. Jean Carroll case, and he was also indicted four times. There was debt ceiling, brinkmanship, the Supreme Court ruled affirmative action unconstitutional in colleges. The Supreme Court also forced Alabama to redraw its district lines to address racial gerrymandering. Lots of workers went on strike, auto workers, writers, actors. Hawaii experienced the deadliest fire in the U.S. in a century. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell froze up. Senator Dianne Feinstein passed away. McCarthy was removed from his speakership. Mike Johnson replaced him. The House opened an impeachment inquiry into Biden. Biden's approval hit an all-time low of 37% in our averages in December. Israel went to war with Hamas after a terrorist attack. There were the 2023 elections. George Santos became the sixth ever member of the House expelled from the chamber. About a dozen Republicans got into the presidential race. RFK Jr. announced an independent presidential bid. There was a regional banking crisis. I I don't know if I got everything. That was a lot. Um, I'm sure some other things happened too. But my question is, In all of this, what was maybe not the most significant thing to happen in 2023 politically? Because I think that's pretty subjective and maybe too open-ended. But what would you say is the most important thing for understanding the 2024 election, which is what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about in the coming year? And Jeff, I will let you kick us off. Wow. I mean, it's tough because I wrote down... Nine, uh, we had a whole list of things that happened, and I wrote down nine things on the list that I thought actually could matter for 2024. But I think of those, you know, I would tend to to maybe think about the Biden approval situation, his job approval rating having sunk to a low of about what 37 percent. Because if I if I think about the dynamics of the 2024 election, and you know, we've heard a lot of talk about the early general election polling that has him and Trump running, you know, pretty evenly. Some have Trump slightly ahead, some have Biden slightly ahead. I would tend to think that one of the reasons why those polls are that close and why you even have some state level polling that's got Trump ahead of Biden, sometimes by notable margins, uh, is that things right now are very much about Biden and not so much about Trump. If, if we really are going to have a Biden-Trump rematch. And so I, I think people are responding, thinking about Biden. And I think Biden's poor approval rating uh, reflects a lot of dissatisfaction with the state of the country. And I, if that continues, I, it really does open the door uh, to Donald Trump potentially winning uh, another term in office as president of the United States. If people are you know, frustrated with things like inflation, if people are unhappy and the, the Democratic base, for instance, is unhappy with the conflict in Israel uh, and split over over the issue to some extent. I mean, I just what's funny is that a lot of the things that you can point to, like the student loan case, like young people being dissatisfied with Biden, like a lot of those things could tie into his approval slump. And if independents are unhappy with the state of the country, some of them might be willing to vote for Trump. Um, I, we'll, we'll see where things go. And I, I do wonder if the election is going to, as the campaign proceeds, become a bit more about Trump than it is currently when I see those numbers. But that 
to me really stands out as a is a major factor for the 2024 election. It's just, you know, Biden I think could win re-election with a poor approval rating. But he may be on his way to testing just how poor uh as, as based on where things have gone. All right, Leah, where do you come down on this question? Uh I totally agree with Jeff and I think the the other part of that is well the, the obvious other part of that is, you know, stories about Trump coming out. And I mean, the, I mean, I don't mean news stories about Trump. I just mean Trump dominating the news cycle in 2024. And I think most of the big events surrounding Trump in 2023, I mean, there are some major moments, like we're kind of, you know, crowd around your TV moments to see, you know, Trump get his mug shot. But uh, I do think a lot of those have kind of just been wrapped up into the Trump news cycle, which is a lot of things happening all the time that haven't changed tons of opinions about it. So barring any single moment from Trump that would change the way people see about him that happened in the last year, I would actually say that abortion legislation in 2023, probably Ohio, is most important in tangent with what Jeff just mentioned. Like how much do people, how much do voters think about Biden as a personality and a referendum on his presidency in the midterms, which is traditionally what midterms are? And how much does this world of um, the potential of a second Trump term plus the first presidential election post the reversal of, of Roe v. Wade, how does that factor into voters' decisions? Does that change the Does that change the math from like what has traditionally been a referendum on the incumbent president? So, I hear you saying that the most important political event of 2023 for understanding 2024 could be that Ohio issue one vote that happened in November, where Ohio voters codified abortion rights into the state constitution by a significant clip. Now, can you like flesh that out a little bit more in the sense of, do you think that's indicative of how people will vote in 2024? Is that why you're saying like, how do you apply that, that knowledge, that lesson to next year's presidential race? Right. Well, and and it's not predictive because it is not a D versus R question, right? Like, especially in Ohio, let's use that as the example that we could also point to, you know, governor's races and in Kentucky or, you know, there are other examples, but Ohio, that's the one we're going to focus on. Um, That was not a Democratic versus Republican question. That was a yes or no question, which means that people could cross party lines, but they're not really crossing party lines. They're just kind of ideologically expanding what their own party means. So it doesn't show us that people who are upset about Roe v. Wade being overturned, it doesn't tell us that they will vote all of a sudden for Democrats, even if they're Republicans. But it does show us that this was not a 2022 specific event, that it is not over, that it's not like a response in the moment in 2022, which curbed the red wave and prevented Republicans from, you know, making further gains in Congress. It's not over, I think. And and so it not being over doesn't necessarily mean that voters will overwhelmingly cross party lines because of abortion, but it does mean that it's an issue that will dominate or be one of the dominating forces um, in a presidential race in a way that it hasn't been in recent history. That makes sense to me. Right. And to, and to Leah's point, it could uh, overwhelm voters' negative feelings about Biden in other areas, right? In the 2022 midterms, we famously saw that people who like somewhat disapproved of Biden still voted Democratic, you know, in part probably because of issues like abortion. And um, Matt Holt, uh, who uh, was then at the National Journal with Leah, um, wrote in 2020 about the the haters um, who are basically like can't, people who don't like either Biden or Trump. Who are they going to vote for? And in 2020, they they went for Biden. And I think this year, maybe you know, obviously there's you know, we'll see who they vote for. Um, but you know, the notion that like maybe they don't like Biden on the economy or something like that, or they just think he's too old and just have kind of a, a vibes based dislike. Of him, maybe they will still feel like, you know, abortion is an important enough issue or something else. Democracy is an important enough issue that they will vote um, Democratic or maybe uh, they will side with Trump for for other reasons. So 
I mean, one question that I have on this topic is that coming out of 2022, one of the takeaways that was that voters are pretty good at discerning where their votes mattered when it comes to the issue of abortion. And we saw that in places like Michigan, where abortion was literally on the ballot, or even in other states like Wisconsin, where abortion was indirectly on the ballot, there was something more akin to a blue wave, but then in places like New York, where it wasn't a live question, really, there was essentially a red wave. And so applying that lesson to 2024, if voters can discern this stuff, are voters going to look at the national picture and say, well, it doesn't really seem like there's any circumstance under which Republicans get a 60 vote, you know, filibuster proof majority to enact some kind of national abortion ban. And even if they had 60 votes in the Senate, there aren't 60 Republican senators who want a national abortion ban. So I don't really think my vote in this presidential election is going to directly change sort of the legality of abortion in my state. Like, if we acknowledge that voters can discern, why wouldn't they take those lessons and discern in 2024 as well? Yeah, I think that's a real, I think that's a real possibility. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why Trump, I mean, we were saying Trump could win in 2024 is because voters do, I mean, the question is, do voters think that a House, a Republican majority House and a Republican majority Senate together could enact further restrictions on abortion, um, whether or not they get to that 60 vote mark in the Senate, could they, th- there are other ways of going around it. So I think it's it's partially, do voters think that Republicans will actually do it? <laughs> and mm-hmm. are they giving them the power to do it? And I think that's also a big question between like voting in, you know, state elections versus federal elections. You know, voters did vote for New York Republicans <laughs> um, in Democratic districts in twenty. 20- 22. So there is evidence that like voters don't think that way or are not thinking that way. Well, but they knew that Biden was going to remain president, right? I think yes. Galen, I'm I'm on board with your argument up to the point about the 60 vote filibuster threshold because I think that's something that the average voter doesn't understand, but I do think that democratic messaging saying that like if Republicans win the presidency and the Senate and the House they will enact abortion bans. I think that could be a persuasive message, even though I think, yeah, the um, the filibuster is a significant impediment to that. Interesting. Well, we will probably learn. But so we've heard Jeff and Leah's most important event of 2023. For understanding 2024, Nathaniel, where do you come down? Yeah, okay. So I have a hipster answer and a real answer. Um, of course. I think because of the crew on this podcast, they're going to appreciate the hipster answer. So I'll start with that. Um, I think the hipster answer is all of the court cases that we saw over redistricting this year. Um, I think so much about the presidential race is going to be decided in 2024, right? Like, you know, a lot of this stuff right now is just kind of like, sound and fury signifying nothing. Um, but the maps in which the house elections are going to happen, like that is real. And like, if you can draw a map that is basically unwinnable for a Democrat or for a Republican. And I think that between the Supreme court's decision in Alabama to add a new black opportunity seat, um, which has implications for other states as well, uh, such as Georgia and Louisiana. Um, I think between, uh, North Carolina, which, um, basically, Actually, I don't know if that was this year or last year, but the state Supreme Court was like, never mind, you can gerrymander all you want. And uh, and as a result, North Carolina now has a new congressional map that's going to add like three Republicans to Congress. And then New York, um, there was just a decision there that basically said the map can be redrawn and it'll probably end up being a Democratic gerrymander. The reason why I think this is more of a hipster answer than a real answer is that I think some of these things are going to come out in the wash, like the North Carolina decision and the New York decision are probably roughly going to cancel each other out. The Alabama decision is a big deal, but I think things are moving very slowly in states like Louisiana and Georgia and may not actually have an impact for 2024. So yeah, you know, it may not be as big of a deal as redistricting nerds like me would like. So my real answer, I think, is gonna is just gonna be similar, I think, to um, kind of in the same vein as as Jeffrey and Leah. Um, and, but specifically, news about Trump. But specifically, I think his indictments. I think that it's been a while since Trump obviously has been indicted, and you know, there's been this bad news cycle for Biden now. I think for a few months, 
But I think that's going to change once Trump goes on trial. And certainly if he gets convicted, I think that is going to be a big part of the campaign next year. And the obviously the indictments were the thing that set that in motion here in 2023. So I think in retrospect, if you know Joe Biden wins re-election and it's a close race and it turned out that Trump was convicted and you know there was a lot of talk about that on, you know, on the campaign trail, I think it'll be easy to look back and say like, oh, like the day Trump was you know, indicted in the January 6th case or whatever back in 2023, that was really a really decisive moment for this campaign. I like both of those hmm. answers, the hipster one and the presidential race one. I like how hipster just means down ballot, but still. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I mean, what do you think of the argument that Leah gestured at this before, but that this all gets wrapped up in the Trump does stuff, says stuff that's controversial, news cycle, and becomes sort of like a white noise machine in voters' minds. And it's all, there's so much of it, and it's been happening for so long, which at this point is like eight years, that people are just, and we recorded an emergency podcast earlier today, so we were looking at polling before we recorded that about people's both reactions to whether or not Trump committed a serious federal crime, what they would think about his electability if he did commit such a crime. And then also one of the questions was, how much are you paying attention to any of this? And a lot of people said, not much. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think, first of all, people are going to be paying more attention when an election is like a month away and if Trump has been convicted. But I think I would say that like, I don't think that it has been a total white noise machine for eight years. I think that Negative stories about Trump have a depressive effect on views of him that when they let up and he's not in the news cycle, like it does allow his favorability slash approval rating to like rise a little bit. Like it's generally very stable. Like we're talking about like, you know, it's staying within a range of, I don't know, five points or something like that. But when there are bad news stories about Trump, I do think that it keeps that number down and puts that pressure on, on his numbers in a way that in a close election could matter. Uh, obviously, Biden is also a factor here, and his age is is also a factor, and things like the economy are a factor. It's not just going to be a referendum on Trump, certainly. But I do think that right now we're in a time, maybe this is over now because of the Colorado decision, but I think we have been in a time these last few months where Trump has not been in, his, in the news as much, and that has helped him in the polls. I think that's a totally fair answer, and we will see what happens as we get into the new year. I have one addition to the conversation, which I think is maybe even more of a hipster answer, and I'm not completely sure that I even believe it myself, but I think it's worth getting on the record before the end of the year. And that is RFK Jr.'s independent bid. We've said here in various different ways that the likeliest 2024 candidates are historically unpopular. You know, Biden's approval rating right now is like negative 16 net approval. Trump is underwater in terms of favorability also by double digits. And like, look, if you just even ask the more blunt question to the American public, do you want Trump and Biden to run in 2024? There's a large majority of Americans who say, no, 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 I don't want any of it. And so when you have that kind of environment, voters have a couple options. They can vote for the lesser of two evils. They cannot vote at all. They can vote for a third party candidate. They can go and vote and leave it, leave the top of the ballot blank. All of those things will happen. You know, people will, there will be people who just hold their nose and vote for one or the other. And we saw that, yes, in 2020, the haters, the double disapproves, voted for Biden. In 2016, the double disapproves voted for Trump. And they swung in his direction at the end of the cycle. So it made, ultimately, that cycle pretty volatile, right? Those That high disapproval rating for both candidates meant that there were a lot of people out there who weren't happy with what they were seeing and really didn't know what they were going to do and didn't make their minds up until the final weeks of the election. So I think it means I think it means that things will stay volatile. But I think having a very high profile in name option as a third party candidate is meaningful. And look, I know just as well as anyone the arguments about how they may well pull equally from both sides and that that was the case with Ross Perot in 1992, did a whole audio documentary on that. I talked to the campaign managers of both sides and got, you know, looked at all of the data and blah, 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 blah. And on election day, polls suggest that Ross Perot took equally from 
both sides. And that may be the case with RFK Jr. But having a third party candidate who has at this moment in time, double digit support, like it's somewhere around 15% in some of these, I think on average, actually, having somebody with that high of a level of support can change some of the narrative of the race. And in part, that's up to the media, right? How we cover him will end up shaping these things. But you know, Ross Perot was out there criticizing the status quo, which hurts George H.W. Bush more than it hurts Bill Clinton, because he's essentially making the same argument that Bill Clinton is making spiritually or vibes based, which is that the leader of the country is doing a bad job, doing a bad job on the debt and deficit, doing a bad job sort of, you know, preparing our country for your kids future and like all, all of the like voodoo economics and all of the stuff that he talked about. That's bad for the incumbent. And RFK Jr., can land attacks against Biden that will be more amenable to people likelier to vote for Biden, younger voters. I mean, black voters in particular, we've seen, you know, in early polls support RFK Jr. with about 20% support. And so I think even if you would argue that on election day, he's liable to see a significant decline in support and that he would take equally from both sides, his presence in the race over the coming year will change the dynamics of the race. There's my spiel. Yeah, I I think that's a it's definitely a big wild card for next year. I do want to make sure that we mention that like polls reliably overestimate third party candidates early on in the race. RFK is not almost certainly not going to win 15 to 20 percent of the vote. Ultimately, he will fall in the polls and probably be in the single digits. Um, But that said, yeah, even if he wins like five percent or something uh, in a close race, that could matter. You know, he may pull equally from both parties and he may not he may you know even just like pulling two to one from from trump for example uh, might might swing the race if the tipping point state is within half a point or whatever like it was in in 2020 so i think it's good to keep an eye on for sure and also we say this with all of our analysis is that like we're in historically unprecedented times right like i don't know that we have ever had candidates as unpopular as biden and trump when we get into election day and so even if you know, we usually see third party candidates tank in the polls in the final stretch. You know, Ross Pro ended up getting 20, almost 20 percent of the vote. So, like, they don't necessarily need to tank. It's just what usually happens. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, hindsight will be 2020. Uh, I think that uh, the emergence of a third party candidate in 2023 is uh, is an important event, is one of the most important events in the event that the economy takes a toll on Biden and abortion isn't a motivating factor. I feel like the independent candidate is kind of a, a symptom more than, or the support is more of a symptom than a cause. But again, hindsight will be 2020 if, you know, I mean, we're saying that, you know, Donald Trump's first, he, he was the first president to be charged <laughs> with criminal activity in in history. And while that might be wrapped up in noise in 2023, if something comes out of that in 2024 that prevents him from running the campaign we expect him to run, that will be the most important thing that happened in 2023. We just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I guess this is my way of saying, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, but I think it's valid. <laughs> I think I think that's fair. Uh, all right. So before we close out our retrospective, I asked you all to come up with the weirdest political thing that happened in 2023. We're going to go back through the list. Jeff, what was it? Oh, you're starting with me. Um, I would say, you know, I don't know if it's weird necessarily, but like unexpected, maybe. DeSantis not doing as well. I think was surprising to me. Is this is this an acceptable enough answer? You know, if I think yeah, back to yeah. like the start of the year, uh, DeSantis was running almost neck and neck with Trump in head to head Republican primary polling, and not that far behind him uh, on a wider ballot in national surveys, and that was basically the peak of the DeSantis campaign. Uh, and so, from the perspective of thinking about how the Republican primary has played out and the fact that we're entering 2024 with Trump, a very, very clear front runner for the nomination and DeSantis not even holding a firm grasp of, uh, you know, second place because of Nikki Haley's rise. 
is 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 a surprise given where things were at the start of the year and how Trump came out of the 2022 midterms at least somewhat damaged. Uh, I don't think I yeah. ever thought that Trump was like going to fall apart or something. Um, I felt like the commitment of a lot of Republicans to Trump was too strong for that. But I did expect DeSantis to be more competitive than he is. All right, Leah. The weirdest thing that happened in 2023. Okay, so can I can I do like one and a half? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do flip side of the coin of what Jeff said, which is the idea of Ron DeSantis like becoming, and I think it started in 2022 and really took off in 2023. But like the idea that he would be this like amazing candidate, I think was like, it became very real, this idea. And I don't know, it's very hard to figure out how that happens. And I think it's weird that of all of the people of all in all the country, it was like Ron DeSantis, who Republicans decided early on was going to be like the, the candidate who can, who can figure it out. But Really, 2023 is going to be the year of George Santos. Like, that's that's what it's going to be. And I'll, Nathaniel wants to take this one, so I don't take up two at once. Like, there are plenty of examples. I just think that 10 years from now, we'll be like, remember that time that, like, George Santos joked about stealing a baby? And, like, remember that time he, like, screamed at someone in the Capitol? Remember? Like, there's just so much. Capitol Hill will not be the same in 2024, that's for sure, without George Santos. No. I think it's like the defining – it's like he was like the defining factor. He was the – he is the most unique thing that happened in Congress in 2023, the most unexpected. Um, does he win the Leah Eskaranam Award for Capitol Hill Person of the Year? No. No. That's not how it worked. You don't get us to be of the year for being weird. Like, that's – if that were the case, I mean, I won't go into it. Uh, is there sorry is there a senate staffer that you wanted to give that award to leah was that was that what you were gonna say oh yeah there was a late entrant uh um last minute entrant into the race really shook up the entire um lobbying effort on behalf of george santos to win the award he came in he came from behind Wow. 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 And from Nathaniel Rakich of all people, I really expected more from you. The lack of decorum on this podcast, just unimaginable. Unimaginable. What's, I think, honestly, this is a twice weekly podcast with a gay host, and I think you just said the gayest thing that's ever been said on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Nathaniel. <laughs> what's your what's your weirdest thing of 2023? Yeah, I can't top that. I was gonna say like George Santos going on cameo and like you know making fun of Bob Menendez, but you know all this, yeah. Oh yeah, Bob Menendez. We did, I didn't even Bob Menendez a- having having cash in his coat. That was pretty weird. Um, Mike Johnson and his son like watching porn together or like monitoring each other's porn intake. That was pretty weird. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Mine was too straight-laced. Yeah. I gave too much of a, like, <laughs> polling answer. Before we close things out for the year, we are going to play a final game. All right, for our final adventure of 2023, we're going to play Guess What Americans Think Holiday Edition. We've all played this before, so I'm going to ask a question, and you all are going to write down on a piece of paper what will usually be a numerical answer, although maybe not for every question. We'll see. And whoever gets closest wins a point. There are no prices right rules. So yes, you can go over. And with that, our first question of guess what Americans think holiday edition 2023 is what percentage of Americans consider die hard to be a Christmas movie? And you could say, yes, it is. I'm not sure or no. And, they, and we're saying how many think it? Yes, definitely yes. Yes. What percentage of Americans say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie for folks? Uh, do I need to explain what Die Hard is? Is everyone familiar with the movie? It's, it's just, let's just get this over with. We know what Die Hard is. Yes. <laughs> let's just get this. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Show me. 20% because I think most people don't care. <laughs> 26%. Uh, I said 41 And Jeff gets it. It is 39% of (gasps) Americans who say that Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie. That is 
What percent said no? 50%. 50% said no? Yeah. So what percent didn't care? Is this like an alternate form of the answer? Only 11% of Americans say they don't care whether this is... This is what's wrong with America, is that more than 11% of us care whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. I'm playing the rest of this game out of protest. Um, no, I mean, don't protest your own lack of knowledge about a poll. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, next question. What percentage of Americans expect to receive a holiday bonus from their employer this year? All right, three... Two, one, show me. 12%. 20% because I did it last time. 36%. And Leah, I don't want to award reward this kind of behavior, but you are correct. <laughs> it is 22% of Americans mm-hmm. say they expect to receive a holiday bonus. 32% do not. 11% said they're not sure. And 35%, the largest, the plurality here, said they don't work or have an employer. Um, so hey, the population's getting did, older, you know. Did, People are did getting. Mitt, you know. Did Mitt Romney make this poll? <laughs> um, a lot of retirees, uh, uh, you know, and self-employed people. Yeah. The Northeast was the region with the highest percentage of folks expecting a holiday bonus. Yes. I thought that was interesting. Okay, hmm. so I just feel like most workers aren't even eligible for bonuses. That's Jeff, why I went with thirty-six percent. New question. So Americans were asked if Santa Claus were a registered voter, which party would he support? And so this is not a percentage that I want here. I want you to tell me, did the plurality say Republican, Democrat, independent, or not sure? You got four choices to pick from. All right. Three, two, one. Show me. Independent. independent. Yeah. We got independent, independent, independent. Did you all see this poll already? No. no. Just the, but come on. A plurality of people, people identify like, as independent. I mean, they're not yeah, actually exactly. independent, but they identify that way. Uh, so I just figured, and also they, you know, the spirit of bipartisanship or nonpartisanship with Santa Claus that independence <laughs> would win out. But all, all those Christmas movies about bipartisanship on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> And look, hey, Santa Claus um, from Alaska, you know, that candidate who ran in the special election there for the for the House oh, yeah. uh, and former member of the North Pole Alaska City Council identifies as an independent, although I believe he's like a democratic socialist. So, uh, you know, yeah. he's a Bernie Sanders independent, if you will. So you each get a point, which means Jeff two, Leah two, Nathaniel one. I do have a question, though. Uh a bunch of people did respond um, that he was either Democratic or Republican. Do you think more people said Democratic or Republican? This is a, should this be a bonus question? This is a bonus question. Impromptu bonus. Write it down. Republican. Oh, shoot. I said that loud. Because he's an old, white, non-college educated man. Because Republicans are more... I don't think Did people Santa put Claus not go to I don't think people put that much thought into Probably it. Not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, three, two, one. Show me. Democrat. Yeah. It is Democrat. <gasps> so Nathaniel and Jeff, you get a point. No. Twenty-four percent of Americans He's giving said away Democrat. Free, free and nineteen percent said Republican. Yeah, he is like the literal definition Dude, just, of a socialist. Just, you know. Santa Claus is part of the nanny state. <laughs> giving you toys. Um, you know, giving you toys. He's you when you're right. sleeping. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeff has three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the national right, security brother, state, apparently. Uh, he knows when you've been bad or good. World Patriot so Act uh, supporter, Santa Claus. For goodness sake. <laughs> With that, Jeff, you have three. Leah, two. Nathaniel, two. Hey, how does Nathaniel have two? Because he got, got two questions, right? No, what, what he got independent um, right. and and Democrat, right? Independent yeah. and Democrat. Fine. Yeah. I'm bad with numbers, right. but I can this guess multiple choice questions. probably why I'm questions. not winning. Okay. <laughs> what percentage of Americans have never re-gifted a present that they've received from somebody else? Or say that they've never re-gifted it. That is a good... Hmm. I am flying blind here. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't really cover this issue a lot, so I I don't I don't really blame <laughs> I don't really blame you for, for flying blind here. Um, all right, three, two, one, show me. Sixty-seven. I said sixty percent, and I said fifty-seven percent. Tightly bunched here. Uh, the answer is thirty-one percent. A lot of really dishonest people to appear. <laughs> to Nathaniel's point about how many people say they've never regifted. Sorry, this was never regifted, oh, not okay. have regifted. Thirty-one percent say they have never regifted uh, a gift. All right, um, I overestimated Americans. So, Jeff, it is that, four to that two was, to uh, two. If it was prices right rules, we would all have been done by a lot. Over. Uh, prices next, right rules are dumb. Next question. <laughs> what percentage of. Oh. I mean, like, Jeff Frieger was closest. He should get it. Like, it's not hard. Like, what? You, you're missing Sugar in the negative direction is the same as missing bad. in the positive direction. <laughs> <laughs> what else we have? I know. Just prices right. Bad. Slandering. S- slandering. Died in the wool American traditions on this podcast. Yeah, okay, we're millennials. Calling Santa Claus, calling Santa Claus a socialist. I think that was you slandering. (laughs) Well, I know you guys came up with the idea. I just uh, Uh took uh it a little bit further. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My favorite question of all of the ones: What percentage of Americans believe that Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas Is You" is played just the right amount? All right, show me. I'm going back to my old 20% because if I had said that last time, I would have won. Have a 38%. Yes. You're saying 38, Jeff? And 41% for me. Wow. Jeff really getting it. It's 34% of Americans say that it is played just the right amount. 45% of Americans say that it is played too much. Are- Was there a too little option, though? <laughs> Um, yes. Hold on. <laughs> let me let me look up that number. Because um, those people amaze me. <laughs> and I like the song, but impressive. Uh, feels like a troll answer to say too little. Um, all right. So the number of Americans who say that it has played too little, that is 4% of Americans. Oh. Who say right. it's played. That a bunch were not too, sure, Yes, maybe? about 20% say not sure. Okay. Um. Well, all right. That sounds about right. Four <laughs> percent saying too little. <laughs> Good for those people. Okay. Do you think more men or women say that it's played too much? Is this is this a, a point? No. No, well, I'm not. I'm not guessing. Okay. Men. I need a point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say I'm going to actually. Hmm. More, wait, more men or more women say it's played too much? Yeah. I'm just going to go with men. Let's just go with men. That would be my sneaking suspicion, but I mean, honestly. It feels a little irresponsible to me to dig into the cross tabs of this poll. Um, I'll just say, <laughs> I'll just say, <laughs> Bad use but of according to this poll, more women <laughs> say that it's played too much than men. There's also a mm. significant mm. racial gap here, which is that 49% of white mm. Americans say that it's played too much. And 29% of black Americans say that it's played too much with Hispanic Americans splitting. That's fascinating. So uh, I don't know if you're a sociologist and you want to call in and let us know why that might be the case. uh, Go for it. In the meantime, Jeff, I think you now have five. Is it five to two to two? Yes. Sounds right. Uh, Depressing. I don't like this. Okay. Um, Next. Next. We have another question. Yes, we have another. I mean, there's so there's so much um, holiday joy. There's there so much holiday polls. joy in the polls this year. What percentage <clears throat> of Americans prefer colored lights for their outdoor decoration, which is as opposed Ooh. to white lights? All right, show me. Forty-five percent. Fifty-one percent. Forty percent. You guys really cluster them pretty close. I'm squeezed. It is 59% of Americans prefer colored wow. lights. I think, Jeff, that means you get it again. Clear yeah. majority. Wow. Jeff, Jeez. you really know your America well, Christmas. Is this, is this where we find out that <laughs> he's yeah, a Christmas oh, yeah, baby? Born on 
Christmas Eve. I mean, this was like a thing of, yeah, you know, mm. I have that just that intuitive knowledge yeah. that comes from being born so close to Christmas. No, um, no, my thought was that Americans are generally kind of gaudy. <laughs> wow. So I figured it was wow, the majority. Wow. Take the so, win, uh, take the win, and then um, slander America. Once again, <laughs> just slandering Americans. Hey, hey, hey. Well, well, I, I actually do think that white lights are definitely classier. Mm, oh, so, I, yeah. Or, I but I will colored. say there is a caveat Typical. here, which is that uh, I do think that the that the the uh, there's kind show. of a classic blue light that you'll see sometimes, where it's like all blue, and I think that is actually really, really nice looking. But I, I think people like a thousand colors. That's what I wanted so, as a child, um, as a Jewish child. I yeah. just wanted. Blue lights. <laughs> Felt like a good. This is also why I'm probably doing so poorly. That's my excuse. <laughs> Celebrate Hanukkah, guys. <laughs> uh, and to that end, final question here. So it's six to two to two. This final question is worth hmm. uh, five points. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is like Quidditch, you know? No. Oh, we and played all this stuff, and uh, there are points being scored, but you get the snitch, and it's, <laughs> um, it's over. What percentage of consumers will display at least one Christmas tree this year? I'm just like thinking. I'm like driving. I'm worried virtually about in my brain right now. I'm worried about bias because this data does come from the American Christmas Tree Association. Um, <laughs> no. Oh no! <laughs> Immediately right. raise this answer by forty percent to my number. Yeah. Well, then I got to change this up now. Hold on. Mm. Actually, I am literally changing my Galen, that was important information. (laughs) (laughs) Unless if they're doing like some reverse psychology, like in America, only one in a hundred Americans has at least one Christmas tree. All right. Three, two, one. Show me. 77%. Oh, it's at least one, isn't it? And Jeff has thirty nine percent. Jeff, you already you already uh, wrote down your number. I have sixty percent. Nathaniel gets it. According to yes. the American Christmas momentary. Tree Association, ninety four percent of consumers <laughs> will display at least <laughs> one Christmas tree this year. Bald face. <laughs> Did a Christmas yeah, my, tree write this poll? Uh, <laughs> so wait, in this group, who has a Christmas tree? I mean, Me. my fan, like my dad has one. Like, there will be one when I go home for the holidays. I don't have one in my apartment. Okay. Yeah, um, we hung up ornaments I, 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 belatedly last night, in fact. So. I got mine up uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving. That's the classic. Wait, that's, and is it, Nathaniel, is up, it your personal Christmas tree or is it your family's yep. Christmas tree? No, I, it's in here in the apartment, yeah. Um, respect. I appreciate that. Galen, you're one of that 6%. You know, I know. Uh, <laughs> I, so okay. It's um. I I enjoy Christmas trees. I just have a small apartment, sadly. Uh, and also Christmas trees in New York City. Another un-American thing. It's like a hundred fifty dollars for a tiny Christmas yeah. tree. So you just got to go fake. Bonus question here. Well, speaking of, go chop it down yourself, Galen. I know, Do the work. I, well, I'll just go to Central <laughs> Park and just steal a tree. Um, <laughs> Uh, if I make it onto page six, you'll know why it was your suggestion. Um, okay. <laughs> to Jeff's comment about fake trees, final bonus question Ooh, of the wait, year. Good so Lord. of those 94% of consumers who are displaying at least one Christmas tree this year, what percent will display an artificial tree? And I think this includes like- I don't know. So okay. this is of that 94% who will have yeah. a tree. Of that percentage? 94%, 1% say they will have an artificial tree. And I have to imagine that this includes people who are like, well, I have a real Christmas tree. And then I put like a fake Christmas tree in, an, in mm. a different room in the house or whatever. Does the Christmas Tree Association um, support both? Do they sell both? Do they profit off of both? Yeah. This is an interesting. Are they? Um, do they want natural Christmas trees, or are they? The American they Christmas want? Tree Association is a nonprofit organization that serves as a resource for media and consumers seeking information and education on the Christmas tree. Oh, Tannenbaum! You know, like, <laughs> good lord. <laughs> so that their that's their that's the company song, right? Here's the, right. their guide to their Christmas <laughs> parties must be lit. Their their guide to Christmas trees. The earlier, the better. Okay, 
Fair enough. Um, get a Christmas tree early. This or that. Although more expensive upfront, there are longer-term cost savings associated with purchasing artificial Christmas trees. Artificial trees are used for an average of 10 years, but most are guaranteed for 20 years. If cared for pop- properly, a good quality tree can be used year after year. I don't know. This feels like it's actually, feels like this is an organization mm. that supports artificial trees. Yeah. So, uh, Reveal. Show me. Show me what no, you got. I'm changing my answer again. I'm just going with mm. my feeling in the moment. How many points is this one worth? Um, the points are here are, are more of like a spiritual vibes based <laughs> points than a than a real number. Um, uh-huh. Wait, wait. Because we the all know with Chris, real ones or fake ones. Fake ones. What percentage of that? Ninety four percent have fake trees. Uh, three, two, one. Show me. Oh, sixty one percent. Twenty five percent. And Jeff says 61%. Jeff is closest. According to this association, 77% fake trees are artificial popular. Oh my gosh, wait. Can I show you what I almost put up and then change at the last second? 80%. 80%. You gotta go with your gut. You gotta stick with that gut. I figured it was 20%. It's about your gut. This poll is not legitimate. This is PR propaganda. I think. Well, while I may not be convinced it's a full-on 77%, it would not shock me at all that artificial trees are more common in American households than, yeah. than the I real mean, tree. The fake tree thing is just it's just a lot easier, and it does cost more up front, but then you don't have to, you don't have to worry about, like, all the needles Jeff, falling what do you off. What like, the, the artificial Christmas you know? tree lobby? No, I'm just saying, I'm saying, no, to be clear, like, a real <laughs> Christmas tree is special and smells great and is, like, cool. I'm just saying... <laughs> You know, uh, you, you may not want to deal with the mess. So I understand. Uh, I appreciate that analysis, Jeff. With that, you have numerically won this round of Guess What Americans Think Holiday Edition. However, everyone here, spiritually, psychically, um, won because <laughs> how could it be? Daniel tears how could up it the be? paper audibly. <laughs> how could it be any other way? With Nancy that, Pelosi really in the spirit After Trump's State of the Union. Okay. All right, thank you, Nathaniel, Leah, and Jeff for playing along with me today, and happy holidays. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Have a lovely holiday. With that, my name is Galen Druk. Tony Chow is in the control room. Our producers are Shane McKeon and Cameron Tretavian, and our intern is Jayla Everett. You can get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com. You can also, of course, tweet at us with questions or comments. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon.